So it's astonishing to me how musicians can come up with new songs about Christmas, even after all these years it's been celebrated and the thousands of songs that have already been created. I still hear songs about Christmas that are either new or new to me that can catch my breath or bring a lump to my throat. Um, One of those songs for me is the song, Mary Did You Know? Um, For those of you who may not be familiar with it, uh, it was written in 1984, so it's it's not been around forever. But um, the lyrics pose questions to Mary about how much she knew of the future of the child that she was going to give birth to. Questions like, Mary, did you know that one day he would walk on water? Or, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? And I remember the first time I heard it, not because I remember either where, our, where I was or what I was doing. I remember it because of the feeling I had when I heard it. At one point, there's a uh, musical bridge, and the lyrics are, The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. And all the while that over these beautiful uh, lyrics, you know, the music is building to this crescendo. And just the first time I ever heard that, it just gave me goosebumps and I was ready to get out and evangelize. I think I was in a car. That's probably where I first heard it. Um... And then, (laughs) at some point, and it may have even been that same Christmas season when I first heard the song, I read a critique of the lyrics of the song, and I I still like it, but the critique was, of course she knew. Of course she knew what her child was going to be and do. She'd already had a pretty revealing meeting with an angel who told her, who this child would be. No, she didn't know all the specifics, but she knew her her son would change the world and change it dramatically. And we do know that that critique is true. We know that Mary had a deep understanding of the future of her son, not only because we know that she had this meeting with the angel Gabriel, But we also know, because we have the lyrics of her own song that she sang about her son. From those lyrics that we read in our scripture for this morning, it's clear that Mary knew that her son would lead a revolution that would bring justice for all people. Throughout the centuries, uh, the song of Mary has been known as the Magnificat. And Magnificat is the uh, first word in the Latin translation of Mary's song. Magnifies the soul of me, God. Magnificat. And this is, that magnifies uh, my soul, my God. This is an important theme that Mary focuses on to begin her song. Um, You'll notice says, it opens, my, my soul glorifies the Lord, 
and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has been mindful of the humble state of God's servant. From now on, all generations will call me, this is Mary speaking, call me blessed for the mighty one. The creator God has done great things for me. We talked last week about the lowly circumstances of Mary's life. And again, here, those circumstances augment the tremendous grace she receives and is aware of by being chosen of God for such a momentous role. In fact, uh, the original Greek that Luke uses twice in this section is a a word, he uses a word um, emphasizing the difficulty of Mary's life. Luke uses the word tapeno, uh, tapenosin is the first time around, in verse 48, which the NIV translates humble state. So uh, for God has been mindful of the humble state of their servant. Humble state uh, makes it sound fairly quaint, But the standard dictionary for New Testament Greek, the Bauer Arndt Gingrich, translates this as depression, low condition, abject state. And then Luke uses that same word again in verse 52, which the NIV translates, God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Again, oh, the humble, how sweet. But no, this is, God has lifted up the depressed, the oppressed, the the lowest of the lows, those who are living in abject poverty. Mary has lived in a world where her existence hasn't ever even been, hasn't ever even entered the minds of the rich and the powerful. And yet, now, the God of all creation has sent her a personal messenger and has chosen her, has chosen Mary to be integral to the salvation of the world. I like the way Daryl Bach describes this. He, He writes, the God who sits in heaven has shown concern to his lowly servant. In the midst of all that God does in creation, she, Mary, has been noticed. So Mary bursts into song in part because of the personal uplifting that she has received from God. That's how the song opens. That's how the song begins. And it is at that point that the song, uh, it's at that point in the song that many of the Christmassy versions end. Mary's personal thanksgiving and praise for God's work in her life. But that's not where the song ends. It continues, verses 50 through 53. God's mercy extends to those who fear God from generation to generation. God has performed mighty deeds. God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble, the the abject, the oppressed. 
God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. All the verbs that are used here are translated in a way that it makes it sound as if uh, Mary is praising God for actions that have already occurred in the past. But Luke is actually using a verb form that is a future tense. It's essentially as if Mary is saying that these are the actions that God will perform in the future. But because it's God we are talking about, it is so certain that these things will be done that they can be spoken about in past tense as if they've already occurred. It's that certain that it will happen. And notice what those actions are. God is going to scatter those who are arrogant, even if they think they have hidden it well. God is going to overturn systems of power, bringing down oppressors and lifting up the oppressed. God is going to feed the hungry and starving and bring ruin to the overstuffed. This is a song of revolution. And I mean that literally. Within the last 150 years, give or take, at least three different ruling powers in three different nations have banned public singing, posting, or recitation of Mary's lyrics, of Mary's song, the Magnificat. During the British rule of India, This song couldn't even be sung in church. It was considered too dangerous. In the 80s, in Guatemala, the poor were being inspired to resist injustice by the words of this song. And so the ruling government banned all public recitation of Mary's words. And in Argentina, Las Madres de de la Plaza Mayo mothers of children who had disappeared during what was called the Dirty War, were putting up posters in the central square in the capital with the lyrics of Mary, with the words of Mary, until the military junta banned that practice. That's how revolutionary this song is by people who understand what it's saying for them the oppressed, the abject, the overlooked. This is the song that Mary is singing in response to the coming of the child that she is going to give birth to. God is going to scatter those who are arrogant, even if they think they are hiding it. William Barclay calls that the moral revolution that Jesus will lead. God is going to overturn systems of power, bringing down oppressors and lifting up the oppressed. Barclay calls that the social revolution. And God is going to feed the hungry and starving and bring ruin to the overstuffed. That is an economic revolution. Mary knew that her son was going to lead a revolution on earth that would bring justice to all people. As Philip Yancey once wrote, uh, these are not the scenes that we typically see on Christmas cards. 
And yet, these are the words of the mother of Jesus about her, what her child would mean to the world, the child whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. <clears throat> when I became a Christian in college, it was within a context of a community that was fairly evangelical. By far, the most important focus for everything that the church did and taught was to get individuals to accept Jesus Christ into their lives as their personal Lord and Savior. Everything else was secondary. I was not familiar with the Bible, and so I didn't really question that idea. In addition, realizing the presence of Jesus in my life had made such a profound positive impact for me that I wanted uh, for as many people as possible to have that same positive experience of Christ in their life. Then, through the years following, I started reading the scripture. And eventually I read every bit of the scripture numerous times and, and much of the scriptures I read over and over and over again. And I began to realize that the focus of God's word is on far more than personal salvation of individuals. God wants salvation for all people everywhere and salvation and restoration for the whole of creation. God wants justice for all people, love for all people, wholeness and hope for all people. And over and over again, in God's dealing with human beings throughout history, these desires have meant a complete overturning of the entire structure and systems of most of our human societies, moral, social, and economic. And it's not just Mary. We heard it from Hannah uh, in the Hebrew First Testament reading that we had. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. Those who were hungry hunger no more. The bows of the warriors are broken, and those who stumbled are armed with strength. Uh, the Lord brings death and makes alive. The Lord God brings down to the grave and raises up. Uh, the Lord raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap and seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. We heard it from James, the, one of the followers of Jesus. A final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. Uh, your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut. It goes on and on. I mean, that's pretty focused. <laughs> now, I realize that I have spoken about political issues a lot more as I've aged in this role. But I believe strongly that that movement has come about because of listening to God's word. The lyrics of Mary, of her song about the birth of her child are a prime example, excuse me. <clears throat> Mary dreams 
of what the arrival of her son will mean not only for herself, but for the world. And yes, she is overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving for the blessing that God has graced her with. She almost can't believe that the creator of the universe even knows that she exists, let alone cares for her and has chosen her for this tremendous role. At the same time, she understands that the birth of Jesus as the Christ will change the whole world. Mary knows that her son is going to lead a revolution on earth that will bring justice for all. And that is the meaning of Christmas. Thanks be to God. Thank you.